James Dobson, probably the father, probably uh, the guru on family counseling, wrote a book a few years ago called Emotions, Can You Trust Them? It became a bestseller. It sold over 600,000 copies uh, before it went out of print. Basically, it took 200 pages to answer the question, Emotions, Can You Trust Them? And at the end of 200 pages, his answer was no. You cannot trust your emotions. You cannot depend completely upon them. In fact, if you're not careful, your emotions will control you to the point that it will hamper your life and damage your life and and damage relationships and all those who are are closest to you. Fear can cripple you to the point that, uh, that that you're paralyzed. You can't make a decision. You can't move. We talked about that a few weeks ago. We talked about depression last week and how depression creeps into us. And sometimes, even after great days, depression can be there haunting us like Winston Churchill's big black dog, as he called it. That depression can control you. Today we talk about one emotion that absolutely I think everybody at some point in their life has to come to grips with. Or it will grip them and it will literally leave shrapnel and leave brokenness and leave pain and leave hurt deeper than probably any of the other emotions that we will deal with. And that's the emotion of anger. If we don't understand the, the power of anger, the power for good that it can, that it can create, and we're not going to really focus on the power of good anger, because I think we can probably look at that and, and find examples of that. I'm not saying that it's not important to talk about, but I'm talking about it in the sense that what it is manifested so many times is in a very negative light. It's whenever it becomes a part of us and we don't deal with it and it becomes that crippling part of us. Somebody said this about anger. Anger is an acid that can do more harm to the vessel in which it is stored than anything on which it is poured. Anger is that element that you, even though we hold it in and we're just ready to unleash it, it actually does more harm to us on the inside. And then the problem is, is if we don't learn to deal with the anger that is going on is welling up inside of us, then anger, if it stays with us long enough, it morphs, it changes, it goes through a transformation and becomes bitterness. We learn to live in the anger. We learn to cope with the anger and somehow, but we never deal with the anger. And so it just becomes a part of us. And though it may be a part of us and we are coping with the anger, the problem is still there. It is still inside of us. It still has its poisonous tentacles inside of us. And all of a sudden, anger will transform to bitterness. And when bitterness is there, you can live with bitterness. The thing is, is, it will change the countenance of your face It will change you in so many other ways. And it will leave you with a seething self inside of you that is like a lion ready to come out. Somebody said this about bitterness. Bitterness is drinking the poison and waiting for the other person to die. I think that's probably a very good definition of what bitterness is. It's drinking poisoning and thinking that eventually you're going to die. I'm mad at you and I'm angry at you and you eventually will pay for this. But yet every day you wake up and you deal with it. Every time you see him, you just kind of just kind of grit your teeth and bear it and go on. Anger. It's only one letter away from danger. Think about it like that. Anger is only one letter away from danger. And anger, when it becomes dangerous to us, is when it consumes us. And it makes us do really stupid things. 
This is absolutely a true story, as best uh, as the media might publish it as true. It came out on the Associated Press in February. It was picked up by Yahoo.com News uh, on, on, and published on their website on March 4th uh, this year. So lest you think I'm crazy, deal with Yahoo about it, okay? Not me. But uh, there's a story of a lady. She was 27. She's 27 years old, lives in Fort Pierce, Florida, and how she drove uh, into, went into McDonald's to get her 10-piece McNuggets. And when she went in to get the McNuggets, she paid for the McNuggets, and the little hourly person behind the counter got so upset, at, 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 uh, excuse me, was not upset yet, came back and had to tell this lady that, that we're out of McNuggets. And this lady said, well, okay, I want my money back. Well, the, all sales are finals, what the, what the hourly said. And so I'm sorry, you'll have to pick from a McRib, a, a, a Big Mac, or a quarter pounder with cheese. I don't want a quarter pounder with cheese. I don't want a McRib. I don't want any of these other things. I want 10-piece McNuggets, the thing you charged me for. Anyway, I can't even go into all of the, what happened ensued between these two, customer and, and retailer, as they're sitting there going back and forth. But... Eventually, this lady becomes so irate, she calls 911 and tells 911 that they, she's being ripped off from, uh, from McDonald's and that, that, that they need to come down and they need to respond to this call. Well, the lady, the 911 operator, thought she was nuts, and so she just hung up on her. Thought it was a prank call and went on. And so she calls her right back. Again, 911 calls her back and says, listen, these people down here, they're ripping me off and told, tells her this whole story. This time she does dispatch a police cruiser to the scene and to try to, to deal with the situation if there's really a situation there going on. And so, but she hangs up on her again. Says, you know, this is a prank call. A third time, this same lady, 27-year-old, you think a mature adult, calls back in anger complaining that she's hung up on her now twice and that she still needs her 10-piece McNuggets and that she absolutely you know, needs her money back or something like that. Anyway, the police show up and they give her a ticket. For, for She doesn't get her McNuggets and she gets a ticket out of the deal. Those were expensive McNuggets. So that was an expensive life lesson for her. I wish I, had a, I wish I knew the ending of the story other than the fact that she got a ticket. But what is that the story of? It's a story of anger gone crazy. Now, you may not call 911 if you don't get your McNuggets, as tasty and delicate as, as, as they are, you know. Uh, but, but you might just absolutely come unglued if you don't get your food the way you prepared it, the way you've ordered it. Or, or if that person who's supposed to be waiting on you and serving you doesn't help you the way you want, or the person at, uh, you know, whatever business you're dealing with, or a person at your, at your work, or it may not even be that. And many times what happens is, the bitterness that is inside of us because we've drank this poison. If this is the person that I'm angry with, could be a mother, a father, could be a brother, a sister, could be an employer, a former employer, could have happened something 10 years ago. If I don't deal with the anger, then everybody else in my life can receive the shrapnel and the pain and the punishment of me not dealing with my anger. So here's the issue. If I don't learn how to deal with anger in relationships, then guess what? Everybody else is going to feel it. Everybody else will have to learn to deal with it. Take your Bibles and we look at the book of Ephesians chapter 4. Because we're look today at probably the most comprehensive passage that I know of from several, uh, over, the, over the course of several verses that deals with anger. 
And Paul is dealing with it. And Paul is writing this beautiful letter just to help these believers to grow up in their faith. And so I'll say this today, that learning to deal with anger is one of the basic discipleship principles that every follower of Christ must learn to deal with. Because here's the reality. I am, I am as much as I want to be a spiritual leader and follower and uh, a Christian for Christ and all of that, a follower of Christ, a little Christ, as much as I want to, I still battle with my emotions. I still battle with the same things, getting angry and short-tempered, and we even have this McDaniel temper kind of thing, and I'm sure you can refer to other, your other family's temper and, you know, or, or, or feelings or the way they cope with their anger and so forth. But, you know, I think one of the basic discipleship realities is that if I'm going to follow Christ, I must know how, learn how to deal with this emotion. And so call this Anger Management 101 if you want to. But let it be that element that we learn to deal with an area that is very real for all of us. And so what Paul does is he gives us six rules of engagement. Now, if you can imagine me with two points in a message and how I fill up the time, can you imagine me with six? And I've still got two other services to go. So we're going to have to jump into this and run real fast, and you're going to have to take real quick notes. And for some of this, I won't even be able to develop. So please forgive me on the front end. But if you can just take these six statements that I think Paul is saying to us about anger management, it might help us to get through some of the unresolved, undealt with conflicts of our life. And I think if we can learn to bring these into our life, because some of these, listen, are preventative. If we can deal with anger on the front end and deal with some of the issues of anger on the front end, then maybe it will save some on the back end. And some of these are more treatment-related and not preventative. And, okay, now that you are angry, how do you deal with that? Now that you have been wrong, how do you deal with that? And we're not even going to try to point fingers to say, say he, they wronged me and therefore I have the right to be angry. And, and We're not even going to go there. We're just going to learn how to deal with the anger that is within us or that creeps up in us, or that is seething within us, even as I stand before you today. So let's look at this passage of Scripture, and uh, begin reading in verse 25 here in just a moment. But I want to give you, just we're going to hit these as we go through here. Uh, I want to give you the very first rule of engagement, all right? Now this is going to sound really, really basic and elementary, but please hang with me on this. Honesty is the only policy. Let's start there. If we're going to prevent anger, or at least reduce it a little bit, then I think one of the things that we've got to understand is that honesty is the absolute only policy. And the great thing about honesty is you never have to wonder, what did I say to cover up somewhere down the road? If honesty is your only policy, then really what you're doing is you're going to say, I'm going to speak truth when truth hurts. I'm going to speak truth when truth exposes my own faults. I'm going to be a truthful individual. Integrity will mark my life. Well, now look at verse 25 of Ephesians chapter 4. He says, Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. So the very first thing he tells us to do is he tells us to get undressed. That's literally what he's saying. He says, lay aside. Literally, he's saying, take off the filthy rags that you might put on the outside 
or the pretending rags that you might put on or the duplicity that you might have on, take it off. Get real. Be authentic. Be transparent. Be who you really are. All right? Now, again, there's so much I could go into this and go further with this, but let's just establish this core today, this core value about who we are, and that is that I will live true. I will live what is right. I will not be one who tries to cover my steps and cover my paths. Paul says this again and again. He says it here in Ephesians to take off to take off, to get undressed with the lies and the falsehoods of this world. But also he does it in Colossians chapter 3, verse 8, where he also says again there to the church at Colossia, take off the falsehood, take off the duplicity. Now, here's a question for you, and you've got to ask yourself really seriously about this one. Is there anything in your life that you're holding back from your spouse, from your parents, from your children, that really if you... If they knew it, if they knew it was going on, it would cause conflict. And so therefore you've taken this, okay, I'm going to hide it, I'm going to cover it up. Now I'll just tell you right now, this has been one of those things that I've had people debate me on. If my spouse knew what I did or here or there and I'm all that kind of stuff, it would literally tear us apart. It might but also might build you closer and bring you closer together. Because whether you see it or not, there's at least a plexiglass wall between you two. There's not an absolute authentic realness about your relationship. And when that plastic wall comes down, or the brick wall if it's built that up, when that comes down, then truth can penetrate, and now you can truly come together as one. Is there anything in your life that if your spouse found out about today, that if your employer found out about today, that if a, an accountability partner found out about today, you would be deeply embarrassed and hurt. Think about it. Is honesty going to be what reigns in your life? Integrity, is it going to be there? Integrity is what you are when nobody's looking. I like that definition for integrity. Kuzay uh, and Posner wrote a great book called The Leadership Challenge, and they actually study businesses and leadership in, in businesses. And they, in, their, in their study, they found that there's 185 different, different behavioral expectations when it comes to integrity. And what they were saying in the study is that whenever people said, this is what integrity is, it's truth in the business world. It's truth in the finances. It's truth over here. It's, it's all this kind of... There's 185 different expectations. You know what? Instead of us listing out what is truth, let's just be truthful. Instead of us wondering what truth looks like, let's just be honest and be real. I don't know if this is true or not, but it was on the radio, so I... I you know, so it's got to be true. Uh, it was... Uh, I heard it one day. I was riding down the road, so I pulled over and jotted it down. And it's just something to make me think about, if it's nothing else, okay? That the average person will lie 19 times a day. The average person will lie 19 times a day. Now think about that. What does that lie look like? Is it a lie on your taxes? Is it a lie to the police officer? Is it a lie to your spouse? Is it a lie to, you know, to save a few dollars? Is it a lie to your 
customer? Is it a lie to your employer? What does it look like that there would be that kind of lifestyle? Let that not be our lifestyle. Verse 15 uh, says, uh, says this, um, and it's a challenge for us. It says, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ. Let me say it to you like this. When I learn to speak the truth in love, I am becoming more and more and more like Christ. When there's duplicity in my life, I'm less and less like Him. Second, rule of engagement. If we're going to deal with the angers of life, number two is to maintain control of your words and attitudes and actions. Your words, attitudes, and actions. Verse 26 says it like this, Be angry. He actually gives us the opportunity that anger, some anger is okay. Be angry, yet do not sin, and do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity. Now, he tells us some great guidelines here, and this is a full-length message in itself. So let me just give you, again, just some nuggets, just some things to hold on to that hopefully you can build on. He tells us, be angry. But he does give us some, some expectations or some limitations to anger, some guidelines for anger. Number one guideline is know the limits of anger. He says, be angry, but don't sin. If our anger is taking us into sin, into using words, into physical confrontations, into compromising our integrity and truth, then we have gone too far with our anger. If our anger has gone to the point that we're tearing people down and not dealing with the problem, we've gone too far with our anger. We've allowed anger to go too far in us. So am I, am I, am I putting some guidelines on my anger? Am I putting limits on my anger? Here's a second uh, guideline that he gives us. He says, set an expiration on your anger. Okay, because what does he say here? He says, be angry and do not sin, and do not let the sun go down on your anger. There needs to be an expiration on anger. I have had couples come into my office before, and as I talk with them, and I see the different anger that they're going through, I, the first thing I try to do is get back to the source of that anger. But what amazes me is how there are times that the anger has gone on for so long, that they don't even remember why they're angry. It has been just one little thing on top of one little thing on top of one little thing. And because they never resolve it, because it's never dealt with and okay, this is a good resolve. It's swept under the rug. It builds up. Is there an expiration on your anger? Or is it something that keeps going on? He says, don't let the sun go down in your anger. Don't let the day even end before you resolve the conflict. That means, in essence, if you argue in the night, you get at least another 24 hours or something like that on that one. So you can think about it like that. Number three, guideline for anger is close the door on anger. All right? You've got to realize that when anger wells up inside of you, you are literally unlocking the door of your heart to allow Satan to come in. Just realize that. When you allow anger to be there, you are making an opportunity for the devil to take up residence in your heart. Look at verse 20, uh, 28. No, excuse me. Uh, verse 27. And do not give the devil an opportunity. Don't give him an opportunity. Does he have opportunity? 
Does he have an unlocked door, a cracked window? If anger stays with us without limits, you've got to maintain control of it then. You've got to maintain control of it. It cannot control you. Maintaining your words, your attitudes, and actions. Be angry, but don't let it lead to sin. All right? Second rule of engagement. Third rule of engagement is attack the problem, not the person. Attack the problem, not the person. Can we do that? Can we distinguish between the two? That we're able to attack the problem, not the person. Look with uh, me at verse 29, because so much when the, the anger of emotion is dealing up, welling up inside of us, we want to just unleash onto that other person. Verse 29 says, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for the edification, according to the need of the moment, so that you will give grace. So that you will give grace. To those who hear. Let nothing come out of your mouth unwholesome. Let nothing come out of your mouth, proceed from your mouth, that will tear someone down. Deal with the problem, not the person. Attack the problem, not the person. Can you distinguish between the two? But the problem is the person. It's easy to say that. And that's why we've got to learn to pull the two apart and to see them separately. The whole statement, we want God to love us, but not our sins. Well, how can we pull the two apart so that whenever we are speaking, we are able to give grace? Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace is just what we got through singing about. Grace is what we're going to get, we're going to come back and sing about in a few moments. Grace is this. Grace is unmerited favor. I didn't deserve it. I didn't earn it. But you're giving it freely. You talk about a relationship that's beautiful, a relationship that's sweet, a relationship that I want to be a part of, a relationship that is oh so endearing. You talk about a relationship that gives grace and not judging, condemning, tearing down kind of words and actions. Solomon said over 80 times to watch our speech. Why? Because it's our speech that many times takes one, one issue and makes it into multiplied issues. I can tell you this, Lori and I never argue, and I'm lying. But when we argue, what happens when I don't honor this principle right here and she doesn't honor this principle right here, we start going at it, all right? Just going at it verbally. And here we are, we're just, just throwing these accusations back and forth and remember when and all that kind of stuff and tearing each other down. And I'm telling you right now, we'll, ha- we'll have arguments about our argument. But you said this and this, but here's the problem over here. But we, you said this, and so we have to deal with this issue, this issue, and this issue that I said that I really didn't mean, but I was emotional about it. And so I unleashed on her. And so then before we ever get to this issue. What happened? I became too emotionally involved. I wasn't maintaining control of my, my motives and my words and my thoughts and my attitudes. And I allowed it to spill over. I allowed it to spill over to the point that it affected my speech. You see, the beauty is, is that if I could control that speech element, and maybe if I could just think through my words 
and could articulate them a little clearer and a little bit more grace and a little bit more understanding. And I knew when it was a good time to talk to her and when it was a bad time to talk and when she's had too much. And If I could really take the time and the energy to read and understand what's going on inside and know when and where and how and so forth, maybe she would hear me. And maybe I really have something legitimate to say that really may need to change in our relationship or in in the perspective of things. But because of my words, because I attacked her and not the problem, it becomes a greater issue. Proverbs 15.2 says it like this, The tongue of the wise makes knowledge acceptable. The tongue of the wise makes knowledge acceptable. That may need to be your memory verse for the week. That I'm actually going to learn to speak in such a way to deal with issues, to present truth, to present an alternative perspective in such a way that when I sit down with my spouse or my employer or my students or a friend, that I'm going to speak wisdom. And maybe then it will be received. Because if we think for a skinny minute that our words don't make an impact, we're wrong. And we may end up having to clean up the mess of our words before we ever get to the real issue. Emily Dickinson said it like this. A word is dead when it is said, some say. I say it just begins to live that day. Think about the words that have tore us down in our life. Maybe it's the words of a coach or the words of a teacher, the words of an employer, the words of a parent, an angry parent, that still to this day is haunting in the back of your mind. And like a little recorder, it plays over and over every now and then. And you have to deal with that. Don't think that words don't have a tremendous impact. The fourth rule of engagement is acknowledge the presence of God in the situation. We need to understand that God's in our relationships we need to understand that God's in our work, God's in our, in our marriage. He's, he's in it. He's a, he's a part of it. And so and why do I keep, and think about this, why do I keep referring to spouses and to children? Because you know who we get most angry with? The ones that we love. You know who we lose it with most? The ones that we love. You know who we need to ask forgiveness from more than anybody else? The ones that we love. We can, we can take more from our boss sometimes and more from people around us that are at least an arm's length away than we will take from our own people that are blood relatives. Think about it like that. The people that we've committed our life to. So be very conscious of this. And realize that God is in our relationships in a a very clear way. Look at verse 30. Because when we allow our words to go to a whole new level, He gives us a very stern warning. He says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. We need to understand that the Holy Spirit is, in, is, is represented in us and he's, he's in our relationships. Now, now here's, the, here's the thing about this verse, that word grief. The word grief for a lot of times I thought, don't make God mad. Don't make God mad. Well, it actually is not an anger word. It's actually a sorrowful word. It's actually a word that speaks of sorrow and crying and emotions and brokenness. Grieving means sorrow. So basically, whenever we allow our relationships to stink, when we allow anger to rule, 
Well, how is God responding to that? He's very sad about it. He's grieved. He's sorrowful. He's crying over it. So let us be mindful that God is in our relationships and that He wants peace. He wants unity. Here's a couple of verses for you. Psalm 133, 1 and 3. How wonderful, how beautiful when brothers and sisters get along. That's where God commands the blessing. Isn't that a beautiful verse? A couple of verses there. God loves it when we're together. In fact, when we're together in unified fashion, you know what He does? He, what He does? What He does is He blesses it. Alright? He blesses that relationship. Here's another verse for you. Actually, this is actually the, the true Lord's Prayer. We think of the Lord's Prayer as our Father which art in heaven, how we be. No, that's not the Lord's Prayer. That's God, that's the Lord teaching us how to pray. But really, the Lord's Prayer is found in John 17. It's a full-length prayer. It's an amazing prayer worth studying. But in John 17, verse 22, it says, this is, God pray, this is Jesus praying to the Father, and He says that they will be one just as we are one. When Jesus is getting ready to go away, you know what He's praying for? He's praying for unity, that we'd get along. In Romans 12, verse 18 says, So far as it depends on you, be at peace with all, with all men. Now, the great thing about that verse is it tells us a couple of things. One is that there will be times that we cannot be at peace with everybody. There are some people that it's really hard to be at peace with. And you will do all that you can do to be at peace, and you'll just have to walk away and, and agree to disagree. All right? But here's another thing. Here's the second thing it says. It's so far as it depends on you. That means... You yourself, has, you have got to get yourself involved and be willing to be a part of the solution and not just point out the problems. So far as it depends on you, are you willing to put yourself out there enough to say, I want to be a part of the answer? What, what, a, what, what a challenge. As far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. But here's the fifth rule of engagement, and that is forgive. Forgive. Forgive, forgive. Wow. Forgive is one of those words that we like to receive it, but it's really hard for us to give it. But forgiveness, listen to this, you can jot this down or whatever. Forgiveness is always a gift. Forgive, not for earn. All right? It's not for you earn your forgiveness, then I'm going to give it to you. It's forgive, it's a gift. Is understanding the reality is that, yes, there's going to be division. In, in fact, some of you all, and I won't ask for a show of hands, some of you, your way to church today, you had an argument in the car. I know that never happens to others of you, but it, that's why we come in three cars in our family. All right, that way we don't argue on the way to church. So, I mean, whatever it is for you, you know, it could be as fresh as the moment. And you're sitting here thinking, why didn't I get this message before coming today? Because it was very relevant today. You had an argument last night or last week and you're still kind of seething in the moment. Just waiting for the next opportunity to drop another bomb on it. But let me tell you this. Drop forgiveness on it. Drop forgiveness. Understanding. The willingness to give it away and say, hey, it's okay. Verse 32 says, forgiving each other just as God in Christ Jesus in Christ also has forgiven you. Can we forgive at that level? 
that I can forgive just as Christ Jesus has forgiven me. Verse 31 lists out a number of things here that we need to point out. And I just want you to take them in your Bibles and just underscore them. Because he gives us a warning. He says, let all bitterness, underscore the word bitterness. Bitterness is that element, that poison that you drink waiting for the other person to die. Bitterness. And then there's wrath. Underscore the word wrath. Wrath is is that pent-up anger. That anger inside of you that you, you, you literally think of, I wish he'd get a traffic ticket. I, I hope he breaks something. I hope that she loses her job. And you're just contemplating ways to help Satan out to attack him. If you, if you could really get on the, on the side. That's why God said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. He doesn't want us in the payback business, all right? He wants us in the forgiveness business. Wrath. That's that boiling, stewing over. Anger. It's that emotional rage. Clamor. Underscore the words clamor in that verse. Clamor is whenever, okay, I'm so angry on the inside, I've now got to start letting it out. And now what I'm going to do is I'm just going to start talking about it with other people. I'm just going to start you know, just, just kind of criticizing them, just kind of dropping a little hints that I don't like this over here and see if I can get a following going on here. He also said slander. This is when you go further now and you start attacking the person's character. And ultimately, he says malice. He says, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander be put away from you, along with all malice. You know what malice is? Malice is that cocktail of anger. It's whenever, it's whenever anger has done everything inside of us and we are just ready to explode. The antidote for it all is forgiveness. Is forgiveness. Verse 32, forgive each other just as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you. The last, the last rule of engagement, number four, here it is. Understand before trying to be understood. When you're in this heat of the moment, whenever you've got all the reasons in the world to be mad at somebody else, remember verse 32. Remember it. Because it says, be kind to one another and tenderhearted, forgiving each other. Be kind to one another and tenderhearted. You know, somebody shared with me in the early 90s a book, gave me a book called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. Maybe you've read it. It was in the 90s, the, the, the business book on leadership. There's one phrase that I can remember in there that stands out to me. And I don't know who to give credit for other than Covey. But it says... Seek to understand before being understood. And, and the challenge has been in my life is when I'm in this heat of the moment, is am I understanding the other person? Not just their words, what's going on behind the scene. Am I willing to have a soft enough heart, a tender enough posture in my life and in my attitude that I'm willing to help them through their, their thoughts, their issues, that they have against me. Am I willing to take the time to understand them? Or is it all about them understanding me? I think it's a powerful, powerful thing. And I think that can only happen when we live in an understanding way, with a tender heart. Notice what he said there. He said, be kind. Now, being kind is probably one of those things that's pretty easy to do. We can all put on a kind face from time to time. 
Being kind is, is giving a gift to somebody. Being kind is, is helping somebody when they have a flat tire. Being kind is, is doing a good deed and not expecting anything in return. For Being kind is good. But you can be kind and not be tender-hearted. That's why he says be kind and tender-hearted. Because being kind is an act, but being tender-hearted is a lifestyle is a condition of your life that where my heart is soft enough that I want to see and understand you before you understand me. That I want to be in a relationship with you where I can serve you. That I'm willing to come to the last part of that verse once I'm kind and tenderhearted. Then I'm able to forgive just like Christ did. And see, my friends, today there is no better picture when it comes to opportunities for anger and understanding anger. If there was one person in all of Scripture that I would say, we've got to understand and we've got to read and study on it and read the times and the places where Jesus was angry. Because He got angry. He got flat dog angry, man. You read them. But you also read the opportunities that He had to be angry that He wasn't angry. Read the times whenever he was being whipped. Read the time when he was getting the, the, his hands hammered in. Read those times and think about them. I want you to think with me for just a moment. Have you been hurt today? If you have been hurt today, and there's pain going on in your life, is there somebody that you know that needs to be forgiven? Somebody that you know that that you haven't been able to forgive and get past and move on? I have a statement for you, and you can, again, jot this one down, and it's worth memorizing. Are you ready for it? Hurt people hurt people. Hurt people hurt people. Whenever you have been bruised and hurt and you have lots of anger inside of you, guess what? It is real easy to hurt someone else. But in reality, we need to be the ones who give grace. And that is so hard unless I learn to forgive. Father, we have all dealt with issues of anger, bewilderment, and disillusionment in relationships, opportunities for the devil to move in and take up residence inside of us. But, Father, we also have these relationships out here. Would you help us, Lord? Help us, if we need to forgive, to find the forgiveness. To find it in your example. To find it in you. If we need to be forgiven, God. If we need to be forgiven. then help us, Lord, to find forgiveness from you. And from those that we've hurt. Lord, this is our time to experience and receive grace. It's our time to give grace. In Jesus' name, amen.